Well, good morning again, everyone. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, we just uh, sang and asked that request that you would, with your church, abide. And we know, uh, even as we sing that and even as we think about it, that you will do that because you've promised to do it that you will be faithful to us um, despite all of our unfaithfulness and our wandering, that you will abide with us. And so we ask now uh, as we uh, get ready to read your word, as we uh, continue to celebrate and to remember your faithfulness, that you would make us aware that you are present with us and that you would shepherd us and that you would speak to us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it is, uh, it is a pretty beautiful thing to be able to mark an anniversary like we are this morning, this kind of celebration that we're having, because uh, an anniversary is an occasion for us to celebrate. It's an occasion for us to celebrate our particular history, all of the uh, prayers, all of the tears, the laughter, the worship, the work, uh, the trouble, all of the joy that has gone on among a bunch of people, really among hundreds and hundreds of people who have been part of this church here on the north side of Chicago, this little outpost of God's people for almost 40 years. We get to celebrate all that has happened between us. And preeminently, we get to recall and we get to, to celebrate all of God's resolute faithfulness to us. <laughs> Uh, over the last 40 years, you know, of him using whatever it is that we might have brought to the table. And if we're going to be completely honest, and we have to be, sometimes him working around and despite the things that we have brought to the table, to birth and to nourish and, and to nurture a bunch of sheep <laughs> who would be completely, hopelessly lost without him. And that is uh, preeminently what this anniversary celebrates. It celebrates God's resolute faithfulness to people just like us. When this building was dedicated back in July of 1994, somebody uh, made laminated bookmarks to give out on that Sunday. And uh, I have one of them, and that bookmark quoted that great line from the beginning of Psalm 127. That line that says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. <laughs> unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And I'm just telling you, the longer you have been a part of this church, or frankly any other church, the more deeply you know and feel this to be absolutely true. So that's what I want us to talk about for a few minutes right now. I want us to talk about this house that God is building. This house that is called the church. So I want us to uh, read from Ephesians 2 together. I'll read verses uh, 17 through 22. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's word and it's given for our good. So back when my kids were little and my parents still lived in Baltimore, we would occasionally drive uh, to see them. It took us about 12 hours or so to drive from Chicago to Baltimore. Uh, but sometimes, especially as the kids uh, got a little bit older, we would break it up into chunks by staying at a hotel in Cleveland for the night, as you do. And uh, this was a Red Roof Inn, to be precise. And this Red Roof Inn had a practice that I thought was notable. When you went into the lobby to check in, there was a chalkboard in the lobby naming the guest of the day. And I always thought that was a pretty nice touch. And I would always joke with Allison that one day I hope, one day I hope that when I check in, I'll be the guest of the day. <laughs> well, there it was one evening. I walked into the lobby to check in late at night, you know, after the first leg of our trip from Chicago. And there it was, guest of the day, Aaron Baker. And they uh, presented to me this basket you know, had granola bars in it, it had mints, had microwave popcorn, had a water bottle. And I got to tell you, I was, I was weirdly elated and weirdly joyful at it. I told the clerk just how happy it, this had made me. And I could not wait to get back out to the car and tell Allison that I had finally been made the guest of the day. Like, hey, this is not just a Red Roof Inn. This is my Red Roof Inn. <laughs> They love me here. They're glad I'm here. They gave me some stuff. Let's get our kids out of those car seats and settle into our home away from home. <laughs> and when I told Allison this, she just started cracking up. And she admitted that she had called the Red Roof Inn earlier in the day <laughs> and asked them to make me the guest of the day. Well, I don't, uh, I don't remember this part, but Allison said that I was upset at her for playing me like that. And if I was, could you blame me? <laughs> How can you mess with that part of a person that wants to feel known? <laughs> How can you mess with that part of a person that wants to feel at home? I must have been crushed to realize that it was all a sham. But joking aside, <laughs> we all do have that part in us, don't we? We all do have that part in us that wants to feel known, that wants to be able to know. <laughs> There's that deep longing inside every human being to be known and to feel at home, and that longing comes from the God who made us for it. That longing comes from the God who made us to find our home in him. And for the Apostle Paul, the church is where that deep human longing is finally met. It is the church. The church is the place where we live with our people. The church is the place where we live with our family. And perhaps to our surprise, Paul says that this family that is gathered together and worshiping together and serving together and simply doing life together, to our surprise, it turns out to also be the place where God himself dwells. That's what the church is. It is our home and God's home in this broken world. It's our home 
and it's God's home in this broken world. So this letter uh, was written to churches that were mostly made up of non-Jewish converts to Christianity. The people reading this letter the first time were just normal, everyday pagans, happily going around, doing their life, doing whatever it is that they did. And then through some means or another, they heard the story of Jesus of Nazareth, and their lives completely turned upside down. By the inscrutable and perplexing and beautiful work of the Spirit, they had come to believe that this poor, itinerant Jewish teacher from a minuscule town that they had never heard of in their lives, who was executed on a cross of the empire, they had somehow, by the Spirit, become convinced that that guy was actually the Creator God. And that his resurrection meant that they could be forgiven of their sins. They could be made new. They could be set right with God. And they could have a part with him in remaking the whole world. That's what they believed. So when Paul says in verse 17 that Jesus came to preach peace to those who were far off, the people reading that letter knew it was them. They were the far off ones. They knew who they were. That's exactly who they were by just about every way of measuring it. Um, They were the polar opposite of Paul's Judaism. But now here they are, worshiping a Jewish Messiah, worshiping in a Jewish synagogue, learning to live with and love and serve people that they formerly wanted nothing to do with, that they had looked down on. And there's only one thing, church, there's only one thing in the world that can do that. There is only one thing in the world that can that can cause enemies to come together, to drop their arms. There's only one thing that has that kind of power to make people who formerly didn't want anything to do with each other to start eating together and praying together and loving together around a common purpose. And that only thing, the only thing that can do that is the cross of Jesus. That's the only thing that makes peace where there is no other human way of making peace. That's what Paul has been saying to his friends just before this. He has written in these very famous words that Jesus has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, and he has made one new humanity in the place of two. That's Paul's point. The cross is God's way of making a new humanity, and that new humanity has a name, and her name is the church. And right away, Paul wants to make it crystal clear, crystal clear to his friends, the ones who thought and who probably felt that they were the far-off ones. He wants to make it crystal clear to them that that church is a home. There's lots of metaphors in the New Testament that get used to describe the church. All of them are rich and they're beautiful in their own ways. Sometimes the church is called a body of which Christ is the head. Jesus talked about being the vine and and we're the branches that grow out from him. In other places, the church is called a bride of whom Christ is the groom. And here, Paul is emphasizing another image, an incredibly important one. The church is a home. As he puts it in verse 19, the household of God, it's a home, and he wants them to know, and he wants us to know, and I want you to know here, you are not strangers anymore. You're not aliens. You're not refugees. You are not unknown. You are citizens here. You are citizens with a home. We are all the guests of the day here. 
every day, forever and ever and ever. This is the church, and it is no exaggeration at all, not the slightest exaggeration to say that building this home has been what God has been up to since before the foundation of the world. This home, Paul says, has been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus himself, he says, is the chief cornerstone of it. The whole thing is built around him. He's the foundation piece that makes this really fascinating and compelling and gorgeous house into a home, a home where outcasts and strangers and fools and cowards and fakes and moralists, and hedonists, and the very successful, and the very unsuccessful, and the rich, and the poor, and the squared away, and the goofy, and the normal, and the odd, and even enemies can live together in this house, in the peace, in the flourishing, in the wholeness, in the newness in which they were always meant to live. That is the church, and it has been God's project, it has been his passion, it has been his love and his goal for a very, very, very long time. And that is super good news for people like us. (laughs) And I'll tell you one of the most important things that it means. It means that we cannot be Christians without the church. We cannot be Christians without the church. All of the images that the New Testament uses, they're intimate, and they are completely irreducible. You cannot have Jesus as a head without a body, (laughs) because a head is dead without the body. (laughs) There's nothing to animate. There's nothing to enliven. As I like to say, you can't invite Jesus to your party and tell him to leave his bride at home because she's messed up (laughs) and she says weird things that make everyone uncomfortable and you don't like her. Because if you say that to Jesus, he won't come to your party because he's married and he is very much in love. And you can't want to be at home with God. (laughs) You can't say that you want to be at home with Jesus and not live in the only house he has ever built. This is where he is. It is our home and his home in this broken world. Jesus did not take on our flesh. (laughs) He did not take on that humility and give up all of his rights as a co-equal. He did not do that and bear all of the collected evil and suffering and pain of the entire world on his back at the cross and die underneath its weight and wrangle with our last enemy death and defeat it and come out the other side and ascend to the Father. He did not do all of those things so that you and I can have little interior private transactions with him in our personal lives. He did it, as he said, to make a new humanity and to give that new humanity a home. And that home is the church. That's what he's built for us. So if you've been away for a little while, (laughs) come home. I know that it's tempting. I know that it's tempting for all kinds of reasons, uh, you know, to try to pull off being a Christian without the church. (laughs) I know that that's tempting. So here's something that's important for all of us to remember. The church is the home, but this building is not yet finished. 
Lots of parts of it are messed up. There's hallways we wouldn't ever want anyone to walk down and see. There's rooms piled high with ruins. We hope nobody ever opens those doors. There's walls that need to be torn down and made way for renovation. All of that is true. The church is not yet what she should be, not here at Covenant and not anywhere else. So listen, the invitation to follow Jesus, the invitation to be a member of his household and to come into his home is not an invitation to a family that has it all figured out. It's not an invitation to a family that always acts right. It's not an invitation to be that family member who has to pretend that they've got it figured out and act right. It is an invitation to join a family of grateful people who have been changed by grace and humbled by it and who are doing the best they can in fits and in starts to love God and to love one another and to love our neighbors. So come home. <laughs> and when we do this together, when we, when we work and live and love and serve together, that final thing that Paul says about the church in verse 22 starts to become more and more evident, more and more visible in this world. That the church is built together into a dwelling place for God. <laughs> John Calvin wrote that when uh, Jesus told Peter that day that he was the rock and that he was going to build his church on Peter, Calvin says he did not speak this privately to Peter, but wanted to show where the unique felicity of the whole world was set. <laughs> Jesus building the church means happiness for the whole world world. And it means that because we become the place where he is. We become that place where God's grace and his goodness is seen and heard and felt, where his forgiveness and his mercy and his help and his comfort are most clearly seen and felt in this broken and hurting world that is desperate for a home. That's who the church is, and that is who we are. And if covenant, you know, if covenant's going to last for another 40 years, <laughs> I'm telling you that it will be from our side of things because we have not lost sight of this. It will be because we have not lost sight of this, and the people that come after us have not lost sight of this, that the church is our home and God's home in this broken world, and that as that we live as we live and we love and we work and we serve together, we become a tangible, physical sign of the life of Jesus given for the life of the world. And may God grant that we would never forget that. Let me pray for us. We thank you again for your faithfulness to us, and we thank you for this reminder that this is our home, that you have made for all of the far-off ones and all of the ones who were near, you have made a place for us. And we thank you, Father, as we often say, that it is, it is the hope of the world. This is where you dwell. This is where you are seen. And so we ask that you would strengthen this church, that you would build this church, that you would protect her and defend her. Father, we ask that that would be true not only here but all over. We think of uh, Buffalo and the violence um, that surprises and shocks and saddens us. 
We ask that you would, you would, through your church, be comfort and healing and love and peace. We think of the streets of our own city where this week almost 100 people have been shot. Father, we ask that you would help us to be peace, that you would help us to be love and comfort in this place, your peace, your love, your comfort. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.